You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Radio Show. Thank you so very much for being here. Well, I will tell you what, I have got, I have just got a very natural curiosity about agriculture. It all fascinates me, and it's not just the farming, it's the industry that's built into agriculture as well. And, you know, if you drive around anywhere in Idaho, uh, up and down Interstate 84, you are going to notice amalgamated sugar, either their trucks going up and down the road or their sugar plants and the areas where they've got sugar beets piled up and everything that goes into this industry. And if you've ever been curious about it, well, I certainly have been as well. And I am going to answer a lot of those questions that come from that curiosity today. I'm going to be interviewing Jessica Anderson, who is the communications specialist and the political action coordinator at the Amalgamated Sugar Company. She's going to be coming on to answer all these questions and talk to us about this industry that is housed right here in our region, everywhere from southern Idaho on up through eastern Oregon and even into Washington State, uh, and talk to us all about this great company, Amalgamated Sugar, and the entire process that goes into it. We'll have that coming up for you here in just a moment. And everybody, I want to let you know that starting in January, you are going to find the DNB Supply Show as an exclusive podcast only. And you can always find that over at soundcloud.com slash dbsupply, as well as iTunes. And I'll tell you what, even more great and useful content at mydbsupply.com. So we're still going to be there for you, but we're going to be exclusively as a podcast. And we hope you'll be joining us there on SoundCloud and iTunes as well. All right. We'll have this interview started for you here in just a moment. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, great. Well, I will tell you what. I I have worked in or around the sugar beet industry, and I guess the sugar industry since I was in college. I did an internship actually here in the Treasure Valley back then, and I was selling ag chemicals. And one of the ones that we sold was called Ronit, and it was specifically for sugar beets. And so I learned a lot about it back then and have always been fascinated with it since then. And so I'm excited to be able to speak with you and kind of get some behind the scenes looks at uh, how it all works, I guess, uh, after the harvest. And so thank you for coming on to share that with us. Happy to do that. All right. Well, let's do this. I would love to have you introduce yourself to our audience, just kind of let everybody know who you are and what it is that you do. Uh, well, my name is Jessica Anderson, and I am the communications specialist and political action committee coordinator for the Amalgamated Sugar Company, which basically means that I get to uh, speak about the industry and you know represent our growers and do that through our social media channels, website, press relations, and also government relations. Now, how did you find yourself in this position? What led to you being the voice, being the spokesperson for this industry? Well, it's kind of interesting. I I used to own my own digital marketing company, did a lot of health and beauty type products, but I grew up on a farm in Notice, Idaho. Mm Mm-hmm. And my family has raised sugar beets there for many generations. And so I knew of the company and knew that it was a great company to work for with a long history and a uh, promising future. So when I saw that they were hiring for someone in a communications role, I was very interested. So I applied and 
four years later, here we are. <laughs> so you took what the skills that you developed for your own business and then what you knew from growing up and you put them together and now here you are. Yeah. And I think that it helps to be passionate about what you work for, yeah. uh, especially when you're representing a group of people. I mean, amalgamated sugar is made up of about 750 sugar beet growers across three states. And um, those are my people, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, and that's so, what I'm here for. And, <laughs> all right. Well, so that was going to be my next question. You know, people drive up and down Interstate 84, uh, especially if they go through Nampa or anywhere else that Amalgamated has plants, and they see them, and they know their sugar beets there, and then I think that's probably where the knowledge kind of stops. So if you could uh, give us a little bit more history and a little bit more explanation of what Amalgamated sugar is. Okay, well, if we want to go all the way back to its inception, the Amalgamated Sugar Company was founded in 1897 in Ogden, Utah, a gentleman by the name of David Eccles, who was very prominent in that area down there, uh, decided to invest in the sugar industry uh, and built a couple of facilities, seemed to have some success. And so a few years later, he amalgamated or brought together several different sugar companies and created one sugar company out okay. of those many. So that's what the word amalgamated means. It means to come together okay. as one. So that's where that name came from. A lot of people are like, what in the world? Because it's hard to say, <laughs> kind of an archaic word, a very legal word, kind of sterile. But I actually think it has kind of a, a, a nice feel to it, especially, you know, after 100 years later, in, in 97, the sugar beet growers came together and decided that, you know, if they wanted to keep the sugar beet industry in the Pacific Northwest, that they needed to purchase the company. So in 1997, they formed the Snake River Sugar Company Cooperative okay. and purchased the Amalgamated Sugar Company. And since then, they have had full operational control of the company. So that was 23. So since then, we've had 23 years of being a grower-owned co-op, and mm -hmm. I think that it's been a an amazing partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is every is every farmer who grows sugar beets a member of the co-op? Yes and no. Uh, everyone who owns shares or has the right to grow sugar beets in the Pacific Northwest is is a member. However, those those shares can be rented out to other people who are interested in growing. Okay. Or um, so so yes and no. You can be a contract grower, which means that you don't have shares, but somebody who owns those shares is. Well, Jessica, how many people are employed by Amalgamated Sugar? So Amalgamated Sugar employs approximately 1,600 people across all of our different locations. Of course, that number kind of uh, rises and falls depending on uh, the time of year and the need. Obviously, during our campaign and during harvest, we have a few more people on staff. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, Amalgamated Sugar is a very strong partner in these communities and is a lead employer in the cities in which we operate. So now I've spent uh, my Idaho history, uh, started with that internship working in agriculture in the Treasure Valley. Later on, I worked on a ranch down uh, outside of Burley and Rupert. And I've always been around sugar beet farming in Idaho in, in, t in terms of all my time in Idaho. And a term I've always heard, but I've never understood is campaign. And I wonder if you could explain to us what that is. 
Yeah, it is a little confusing for folks because we're surrounded by social media campaigns or ad campaigns or political campaigns. And, right. But really, if you get down to the root of it, a campaign really means that you are working in an organized and a time-focused manner and you're working towards a specific goal. And so that's what we do at our factories every year is we have a campaign to bring those sugar beets in, get them washed, sliced, and turned into sugar in a timely manner so that we're, you know, getting the maximum return that we can for our growers. Oh, well, that is a great start. Let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you about how all this works, okay? That sounds great. For work, play, or a little bit of both this winter, stop by D&B Supply for Wrangler gear. From flannel line jeans to stylish shirts and jackets, fit for the field or a night out, Wrangler has you covered. Established in 1947 with the spirit of courageous individuality, Wrangler apparel is designed to last and look good to boot with new styles and great fits it's clothing that wears well no matter what the season or what life throws at it so stop by your favorite dnb and get covered this winter in wrangler gear when it comes to legendary performance only a few chainsaws make the cut like the husqvarna lineup available at dnb supply years of razor sharp research led to many of husqvarna's breakthrough technologies including anti-vibration dampeners to reduce the impact on your arms and hands plus a combined choke and stop control that makes the chainsaw easier to start. When you have your work cut out for you, get her done with Husqvarna. Pick one up at your favorite DMB supply. All right. Well, Jessica, let me ask you about how this works. So I'm, I'm always curious about this, and I want to know, I guess, the business model of amalgamated sugar is. Are you selling sugar to the general public, to other people in industry, or if both, what are the kind of how does that break down? So amalgamated sugar has multiple revenue streams, I suppose you could say. Most people think of us, they think of sugar. And we sell our sugar, about 90% of the sugar that we make is sold to large-scale industrial users. And, of course, due to ingredient confidentiality contracts, I can't always just rattle off a whole list of of the big names who uh-huh. use our sugar. However, I'll th- think of the think of cereal, think of cake mixes, think of baked goods that find their way to the shelves, think of drinks, um, sports drinks, and that that's where 90% of our our sugar goes. Okay. And of course, confections, the candy makers of the world. That's that's our main user. However, about you know nine you know nine ten percent of our business is is retail. A lot of people find that confusing because they don't see the white satin sugar on the shelves. However, that doesn't mean that we're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we uh, actually custom bag for a lot of different grocery stores and things like that. So the quote unquote generic package that you might see if you were to go to uh, an Albertsons or a Winco, for example, uh-huh. uh, is is actually packaged at our Nampa facility. So there are two different types of sugar, if I remember this right, right? There are sh- there's sugar from sugar beets and there's sugar from sugar cane. Do, are those the only two? Well, there are a lot of different processes out there. I, I, I will say this. I will say that the sugar that you get from sugar beets and the sugar you get from sugar cane is molecularly identical. Okay. Um, we're talking about sucrose at the end of the day. However, in the process for, for sugar beet and sugar cane production is very similar. Basically, you take a plant, you slice it up. You know, you wash it, you slice it up, you soak the sugar out in hot water, and then you spend a lot of time getting rid of that excess water. Mm-hmm. 
the end product is the same. Okay. However, there are other plants that have concentrations of sucrose in them. Sucrose is basically created, you know, by the plant through photosynthesis. So there are other plants that have sugar in it. It's just more of an effort to get that sugar out. So you may see other types of sugar on the shelves in the store. You may see coconut sugar or all of these other things that same similar product, but more difficult to get, which is usually why you see a cost difference. Well, the reason I was asking that is I'm thinking of of folks when they go to the grocery store and they're going to purchase sugar, if they do want to purchase sugar that's grown by people in their own community here in Idaho, Oregon, and Washington is your third state, correct? Yes. Yeah. So Oregon, Idaho, and Washington, helping them to pick that out. And I wondered if if they could tell a distinction, like if they, will the ingredient label say it comes from sugar beets or will it say it comes from cane sugar or will it just say sucrose? Most of the time, the package simply says sugar. Um, They're usually, sugar cane is highly retail. And so you're finding a lot more sugar cane in stores than you see beet sugar. However, you know, most of the time, if you see a package that just says sugar, it's probably from sugar beets. And if you see a package that says sugar cane, that's how they distinguish themselves. Okay. Um, I would add this one little thing. It's kind of a fun little how you might tell if a package has been uh, produced by amalgamated sugar okay. and is like, let's say you find your generic bag of sugar in the store. There is a code that's uh, right above the expiration date. And if it has an X in that code, that means that it was packaged at our Nampa facility. Okay. So look for the X in the expiration code. Yes. X marks the spot. (laughs) X marks the spot. Very good. Well, you brought up the Nampa facility and I know you have, you have another one in the Magic Valley, I know. And then, uh, then I'm sure you have more beyond that that I'm not aware of. I want to know what happens um, at those plants. So is it, I guess, is there sugar coming out the other end of that plant where sugar beets are coming in on one end? Is there sugar coming out on the other? Well, we have three facilities where we process sugar beets, and those are in Nampa, which is our newest facility, which, um, of course, is still 77, (laughs) 78 years old. So, Uh you know, we've been around a little bit. We have a facility in Twin Falls, which is our oldest. I think that they're in the middle of their 103rd or 104th campaign right now. Wow. And then we have our, what we call our mini casual facility, which is located in Paul, Idaho. And that's the largest sugar beet processing facility in North America. Wow. So all of the sugar beets that are grown cooperative-wide are brought to those facilities for processing. I don't want to leave out, we do have a facility in Nyssa. They no longer slice sugar beets, but they do hold our brown sugar production line and also one of our warehouse distribution facilities. Okay. So when we are making sugar, what that process looks like, to simplify, is that we bring the sugar beets in from the fields. They are unloaded by the green trucks that everyone sees on the roadways in Mm -hmm. southern Idaho. We need one of those trucks approximately every five minutes to keep the factories running. So we take those sugar beets in, we wash them, and then we slice them into these little thin strips that we call cassettes. They look a lot like French fries or crinkle cut um, potato chips. 
and then we uh, soak them in hot water. And so the process there is kind of like when you're making tea and you use warm water and you drop it in the tea bag and then yeah. you create tea. So that, that's the process that we're using there. Osmosis gets the sugar out of the sugar beet and into the water. And then we spend a lot of time removing all of the stuff that's not sugar from the sugar. So that means getting rid of all of the water, the other amino acids and proteins and uh, plant material that's uh, left over in that water. And so you finally come down to a point where there is nothing else in this liquid but sugar and we're continuing to evaporate more water. So it has to become a solid at that point because there's nothing to hold it. Uh, At that point, we put a little bit of sugar into this mixture and all of the sugar crystals start to form to a uniform size. Then we drop it into a um, centrifuge, which is something that spins really, really fast. And that means that we can blast that sugar with hot water to wash off anything else that might be on it. And all of the liquid gets pulled to the outside of the centrifuge while the sugar is left on a screen. That sugar is, it's just all, only crystals at that point. Okay. And then we take that off the centrifuge and put it into a dryer. And then we, you know, let it dry for a bit. We blast it with air and then we store it. And that kind of lets it cure for a little bit before we put it either into packaging or a lot of our sugar is loaded into rail cars or into trucks where it's transported to the end user. And that was one of the questions I had. I didn't know if it was just the processing that was going on, say at the Nampa facility, or if it was the packaging and actually what was coming out of that plant was going to the end user. But it sounds like that everything is taking place right there. All of the sugar that is in retail packaging, like your four-pound bags, your small bags, are coming out of our Nampa facility. That's where we have our retail production line. Okay. We have the ability to do a little bit larger bags at our mini casual facility. We can do like the 50-pound, 100-pound bags there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, retail is packaged at Nampa. And then everything else is one-ton totes which are just giant bags of sugar or we're loading into bulk rail and bulk truck to ship it out. Got it. Very interesting. Now there's a term that I've heard many, many times. I know what it is, but I want to make sure everybody else knows, Uh, you know, people that are, that are new to this or they've just moved into Idaho, they're going to hear this term. They're not going to know what it is. What is a beet dump? (laughs) Oh, that is kind of an old-fashioned term for where the sugar beet growers take their sugar beets to store until they can be hauled to the factory for processing. We have a you know limited space available at each of our facilities, mm-hmm. and so we need to store the sugar beets somewhere until we can bring them into the facility to process. So um, we call them uh, receiving stations or piling grounds, but everyone kind of still refers to them as the beet dump. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, and those piles get huge. I mean, they're just enormous piles of sugar beets during the harvest. Yes. And those are, um, each grower is kind of assigned a station depending on how the proximity of um, their field to the receiving station so that they can ship it the 
least distance possible. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you're needing a truck every five minutes to keep the the plant rolling, you've got to have a lot of logistics built into this uh, to keep that all moving. It can't all be coming out of the field right when you need them. Right, right. And we also have a limited time frame of when we can harvest the sugar beets. I mean, it would be nice if we could just take all of the beets straight from the field to the factory, but that that just doesn't work out. And so storage is necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. I want to take another break. Uh, let's come back. Let's talk about uh, some of the process that goes on out in the field. Does that sound all right? That sounds great. All right. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB Supply. It's a pretty super life here at DMB Supply, even for dogs and cats, because we now carry Wildology. The only pet food with Super Life Pro, a live probiotic blended with superfoods. Wildology is filled with the good stuff your pet needs to support a healthy body and immune system, like wholesome proteins, kale, chia seeds, and blueberries. Because a healthy pet makes for a happy pet. Unleash your pet's superpower and pick up Wildology cat and dog food at your favorite D&B supply. All right, well, Jessica, we were talking all about the process of making the sugar. Let's talk about the farming for a second. Between Oregon, Idaho, and Washington, uh, all the different growers that uh, are growing sugar beets for Amalgamated, how many acres are we talking? We're talking about 180,000 acres across Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. The the bulk of those acres are in southern Idaho, but we do have a a pretty good grower base in eastern Oregon. We also have a little pocket up in La Grande and in that Grand Ronde Valley up there. Mm-hmm. And then just south of Prosser, Washington is where our Washington sugar beets are grown. Now, is there, uh, I don't know, is, are there regional differences in the taste of the sugar? Or once, once it comes out and it's boiled down to that sucrose, does it all taste exactly the same? Sugar is going to taste like sugar. Okay. Um, but however, there there are regional differences as far as sugar content and growth, and it has a lot to do with elevation and soil. There are so many different factors, but a lot of it has to do with the length of the growing season as well. I mean, mm-hmm. how long the sugar beet can be growing. However, we're working really strongly with our seed producers to have a plant that is high in sugar and so that we're making the most sugar that we can and providing the best return we can to our growers. Well, let's talk about harvest for a second. So sugar beets are large. So how how do we get them out of the ground without damaging them? So the harvester is kind of an interesting piece of machinery. What it is is these two discs um, that kind of roll along the each side of the sugar beet at an angle, and it kind of pops it up out of the ground. And then the sugar beet is kind of rolled across a roller in order to remove any dirt from it. Mm-hmm. And then it is put in kind of a hopper in the back of the machine. And then it can be loaded into the trucks. Before we come over it with a harvester, what we'll do is drive a topper or a scalper across okay. the field. And that takes off the green leafy tops that people 
see uh-huh. uh, when the sugar beets are growing. That is how the plant makes sugar, but it does not have any sugar in it. And it ends up gumming up the factories if we bring in those leafy tops. So those remain in the fields as kind of a, a green manure or a fertilizer, if you will. Okay. Adds back to the soil. So from that uh, harvester, after the sugar beets are in the back of the harvester, they get loaded into trucks. And then those trucks haul those sugar beets to the closest receiving station, or in some cases, directly to the factory. Well, anybody who's driven by and looked at a sugar beet field, or anybody like me who's had to go and walk through one when the rows were closed and, and the, you know it was late in the growing season, that is a lot of green material. And so that's all getting eventually what disc backed in into the ground to to put that energy and that, that uh, nitrogen and stuff like that that's in that plant top right back into the soil. I have heard that there are some growers who have found ways to kind of collect those green tops and use them as cattle feed. Okay. And obviously still very nutritious, yeah. but it's also one of those things that's very labor intensive. So a lot of, most people just uh, reintroduce the green tops back mm-hmm. into the soil as green manure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of lot of energy that's gone into creating the green tops as well. So you can put that right back into the soil. That saves you on on applying fertilizer later, maybe. And I think that it's really interesting to note that we use every part of the sugar beet in our production process, be it adding the green tops back to the soil. When we're in the sugar production process, when we've soaked the sugar out of the plant material, the plant material still can serve a purpose. It Mm -hmm. still has fiber and nutrients that can be used. So we'll take that sugar beet pulp, as we call it, and we will press it and dry it and sell it as cattle feed. Okay. Um, and that's a very popular feed source for dairies in the area, which, of course, is a very important industry to the state. Yeah, number three dairy um, state in the nation now. And we've also developed a technology through our research subsidiary, which is called Amalgamated Research, or ARI, to collect a... Uh, another element from the sugar production process, which is a a vitamin or a nutrient called betaine. And betaine is what's called an osmoregulator, which means that it helps your body retain moisture or, you know, other things retain moisture. It can be used in uh, cosmetics. It can be used as a feed additive. It, it could be used nutraceutically in pre-workout drinks or things of that nature. Okay. And so we've developed the technology to extract that from the sugar beets. That is another revenue stream as well. Um, So we try to use everything that we possibly can from this process. Very good. Okay, another quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about harvest just a little bit more. And uh, I want to see where we can find the biggest pile of sugar beets. All right, we'll see what we can do. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At DMB Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking. Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. All right. Well, Jessica, I want to ask you another, just one more question about harvest. We, you talked about the timing of it a little bit. I've always wondered this. Is, is harvest, 
because sugar beet harvest tends to happen late, maybe uh, kind of later into into the harvest season. Is that timed so the temperatures are cooler? So when we are stacking sugar beets outside, that they're preserved, or is that based on some different factor? Um, there's multiple factors at play. Uh, we actually, in some areas, start harvest, um, what we call early harvest in, in September. Uh, those beets typically go straight to the factory so that we can prime the factory and get it ready go, to go for the campaign. Mm-hmm. However, full harvest is usually the month of October. We really like to get all of those sugar beets out of the field by the first part of November for weather reasons. Okay. Um, it's really hard to dig cold or, you know, frozen beets out of the field. And it's also really tough on the factories when those sugar beets are, you know, have frozen mud on them or the sugar beets themselves are frozen. Mm -hmm. So we really, we harvest at that time frame also because the longer the growing season, the more sugar has accumulated in that sugar beet root. So the thing about when we're piling the sugar beets, uh, we're, we're pretty lucky in that we have a pretty mild temperature and we have a pretty steady airflow through the area so that that keeps the sugar beets cool and preserved throughout those winter months. Um, However, any weather fluctuations, any time it gets warm and cold too much, we'll start to see the beets deteriorate. And those are the beets that we try to get into the factory the fastest so that we make sure that we get as much as we can out of them. If it warms up, the sugar beet is still a living plant, even if it has been harvested and is in the pile, uh-huh. it will want to start to regrow. When it wants to regrow, it's going to use that sugar that it's preserved to do that growing. So you start to lose sugar as soon as the sugar beet tries to start growing again. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that sugar that's in there is its energy source, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the sugar beet is actually a two-year plant. The sugar beet, it's, it doesn't produce seeds until its second year. So that first year of growth for a sugar beet is all about accumulating enough sugar so that it can survive through the winter and in the next year produce its seed. Well, when we learned this as a people, we decided that it would be a good way to produce sugar. Uh-huh by hijacking it when it's at its sweetest, so in the fall of its first year or, you know, in that first part of its growing cycle and um, harvesting the sugar at that point. Do you have any idea when people first figured that out, that they could get sugar out of sugar beets? Uh, So it was about the mid-1700s in Europe when they started looking at the sugar beet plant as a... uh, source of sugar. They discovered that it not only, you know, had a good concentration of sugar in the plant, but that the process for extracting that sugar was very similar to sugar cane. So they weren't having to reinvent the wheel per se. Okay. But it didn't come into the U.S. until about the, the mid-1800s or early 1800s. And it didn't really come to the West Coast until after the Civil War. Now, I get, I get curious by the strangest things, and I'm always looking at these piles of beets. And most often the piles uh, there at the Nampa plant, because that's the area that I live in. But uh, where, mm-hmm. do you, where do you get the biggest piles? Like if somebody wanted to see the biggest pile of sugar beets, what would be uh, the odds-on favorite place to go? 
Well, you know, I think it's probably going to depend on what your idea is of the biggest pile. Okay. I mean, is it the longest pile or is it the, the most beats in one area? And I would imagine that the most beats that we have, at least in one area, would be the, the piles that we have at our mini casual facility. I mean, that's a big facility. We have multiple piles for the factory to uh-huh. keep that factory going. So I'd say that probably Paul, Idaho is probably where you're going to see the most sugar beets. All right. So you're the expert and that is your educated guess, but we have not actually <laughs> measured the volume of the piles and compared them at this point. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've kind of got uh, got other things going on this time of year. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if you need a designated pile measurer, you just let me know. I'm always looking for a okay, new project. I'll, I will give you a measuring tape, <laughs> and we will send you on your way. All right. That would be a fun thing for, like, Mythbusters, if they could somehow, like, use a laser to figure <laughs> out the volume. Um, okay. I could derail this whole discussion talking about measuring piles of sugar beets. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to take our last break, and we're going to come back, and we are going to wrap this up. All right? That sounds great. After a long day on your feet, nothing feels better than slipping into some Twisted X moccasins. So pick up a pair at D&B Supply. These aren't your ordinary shoes. With roots in Western boots, Twisted X creates handcrafted, comfortable moccasins that stand out from the pack. They capture the spirit of the American West from the design down to the soles. Find your new favorite comfortable shoes with a pair of Twisted X moccasins. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. All right. Well, Jessica, uh, I, I want to ask you about, I guess, the state of the sugar industry in the U.S. How much of, of the sugar that's being consumed by people in our country are coming from sugar beets? Well, I'd say that the sugar, in the, United, the sugar that is produced in the United States is about 50-50, about 50% sugar beet, 50% sugar cane. However, the sugar that is produced in the United States doesn't entirely meet the demand so sugar is imported from other countries like Mexico and Brazil mm-hmm. to fulfill that need. Amalgamated sugar produces a, approximately 12% of the nation's refined sugar. And as I said earlier, most of that sugar goes to large-scale industrial users. Wow. So America's got a giant sweet tooth, obviously. Well, Jessica, I wanted to ask you about this. I we're just coming through the holiday season right now. Do you see a spike in demand, I guess, at, at, at Amalgamated's level for sugar when we're going through a season where people are making so many desserts and things like that? So Amalgamated Sugar markets our sugar through a partnership uh, company that is called National Sugar Marketing, which is a mar- marketing partnership between several sugar companies. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this marketing, and because we are a large-scale industrial supplier, Uh, Most of the sugar that we sell is already contracted and booked out months, if not years, in advance. So typically, uh, those type of uh, users are already, you know, producing all of their products Mm -hmm. to be ready for this season. Sure. So it's actually a pretty steady flow most of the time. There may be an increase in, in need from some of our users, but that happens a lot earlier than the Christmas season. So just because I run out of stuff in my own cupboard doesn't mean that the professionals in the food industry allow that to happen. They're actually planning ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, you would, it would be really sad if you really wanted to get your 
Reese's Christmas tree, but they <laughs> ran out of sugar and they didn't have them in the store for you. Yeah, you named my favorite candy. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I would be sad. Un- sad. It would be sad to look at me. I'd be so sad if I could not go to get those <laughs> special Reese's. Uh, well, this has been great, Jessica. I, I am always fascinated by this stuff. I'm fascinated by agriculture, obviously, and then how it all works on the back end. It's hard for me to imagine how people even thought all of this up, let alone how it all gets done and gets out to people in industry. So I really appreciate you sharing it with us today. If somebody listening, if they wanted to know more, they, they're fascinated by what they heard, or maybe there's a question that I failed to ask and they want to they find the answer to it, where should they go? Please feel free to visit our website. We're at www.amalgamatedsugar.com. On our website, we have multiple resources as well as the ability to contact us. We also have a blog that shares news from the company, which includes facts about our employees, our growers, um, things that we've participated in. Also, feel free to follow us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to kind of see what we have going on. And also, feel free to connect with us there as well. Like, comment, share, and we'll definitely get back to you. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today. Thank you for having me. And hey, everybody, before we sign off, just want to remind you that starting in January, you will find the D&B Show as an exclusive podcast at soundcloud.com slash dbsupply, as well as iTunes and with other great and useful content at mydbsupply.com. So we hope you enjoy as we transition over to exclusively podcasting. And thank you so much for being here, everybody. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>